you're listening to the Style Files podcast. I'm your host, Paloma Contreras, and joining me today is a good friend and a talented interior designer from New York, Nick Olson. After earning a degree in architecture from Columbia University and mentoring under renowned decorator Miles Red, Nick Olson started his eponymous firm in 2010. Nick creates comfortable, stylish interiors that nod to the past and his arc sense of humor while maintaining an air of modernity. Hallmarks of his aesthetic include mixing antiques and contemporary art, playing with scale and texture contrasts, and creating unexpected color combinations, all while tending to the unique needs of each client. Recent projects include a mid-century home in Cincinnati, separate Park Avenue apartments for members of the same family, and a Nantucket vernacular summer home and guest house. At age 24, Nick's first studio apartment landed on the cover of Domino Magazine, and one of his first decorating projects made the August 2013 cover of The World of Interiors. His projects have also been featured in Architectural Digest, Veranda, House Beautiful, Traditional Home, British Homes and Gardens, and The Wall Street Journal. Nick has been named to El Decor's A-list for the past two years, and he currently resides in Lower Manhattan. Welcome, Nick. We're so excited to have you here today. Hi, Nick. How are you? Hi, Paloma. I'm doing pretty good considering the circumstances. How are you? I'm doing well. Same. Just trying to um, maintain as much of a positive perspective as I can and looking for the silver linings each day. That is all we can do right now besides being kind to people and trying to do something for um, for other people. It's crazy. That's right. So for anyone listening to this, obviously, we're recording this during the um, the midst of the coronavirus pandemic. And currently, it seems like the world is shut down and all of us are sheltering in place at home and doing the best that we can to social distance and do uh, the responsible thing in order to you know help the greater good, if you will. What has this experience taught you so far, Nick? What has it been like for you? Um, it's it's been a bit surreal, like it I'm sure it has been for many people. Uh, the irony is that even though I'm a decorator and I'm in people's homes all day long, um, I'm not much of a homebody in my personal life. <laughs> uh, um, I'm not, you know, I I barely have a Netflix subscription. Like I don't really cook for myself. I don't nest per se. Um, so I was kind of a restaurant addict until this point, and I've never spent so much time at home and at my um, my weekend home where I am right now. Um, and it's kind of gotten me back to basics, like cooking for myself, um, you know, not not going to, out to eat every night, just kind of doing my own cleaning. Um, I love my service people, and I miss Sandra, uh, my housekeeper, and Jody up here, but I'm just you know, trying to social distance and do things for myself and um, find some kind of a routine. Uh, and of course, it's it's bizarre because my um, my office is in Manhattan. My apartment is in Manhattan. But my um, the kind of linchpin of my business is now working remotely from her parents place in Westchester County. And I'm up here. So it's 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 just wild. But it's it's gotten me back into home life and doing things for myself, which is, I guess, a bright side. So you know, it's it's like we're all sort of going back to basics, as you said, and there's been this collective reset button. Um, there's something kind of refreshing about it. Mm-hmm. We spent all of last weekend cleaning our house from top to bottom, which I'm fortunate not to have had to, 
do myself for a while because we have a lovely housekeeper, but it just made us appreciate her so much more. And also, you know, there's a little bit of a satisfaction. I think if you're any, some somewhat type A or um, Mm -hmm. the slightest Mm -hmm. bit OCD, you know, zapping dust and, and cleaning things, giving your house a good deep cleaning is a little bit satisfying, but yeah, I think we're figuring out, you know, what really, what matters and how we want to spend our time. Absolutely. I have been turning things at right angles, like a crazy person and just fluffing all the cushions and vacuuming. I mean, (sighs) there's a bit of like an insect problem up here. So I just have like the, um, the dust dust are ready to go for any of these like Japanese beetles that are near my windows. So it's turned into a sport of some kind. Oh, wow. But, uh, (laughs) um, but yeah, it's just kind of, uh, monitoring how much I'm on the news app and how much I'm exposed to all the scary news that's happening. But while mm-hmm. I'm in touch, in touch with my family um, and all my friends and, uh, and just kind of like getting up every day with a purpose. So. Do you know many people who stayed in the city or did I, anyone who had a, an option to, to leave and go elsewhere to ride this out, do that? Um, I do all, most of my friends are still in the city and I, I invited a couple up here, um, you know, before things got really scary. And then a few of them are like, I should have taken you up on that offer. Cause now they're kind of stuck and everybody apparently has to wear masks when they go outside, which is scary. Um, but so I feel for them because, you know, they're, they can leave for their apartments or houses for necessities, but they're sheltering in place in close quarters. Um, and it just, I'm sure it feels so much more bizarre than it does up here because the streets are empty and that's hasn't happened ever. No, it's eerie to see New York so quiet without a soul on the streets. Exactly. Um, so it's, yeah, I, I feel a little bit guilty cause I like have this house to myself and I'm just looking around, but um, I'm fortunate that we have, I have great uh, neighbors nearby. Chris Fitzmiller and his boyfriend, Anthony are like a minute and a half away um, and we have like social distance walks with them and Ashley Whitaker, um, who's another good friend. And oh, how fun. yeah, we're taking like mountain hikes up the steep road near my house. And um, Chris is like making meals and Ashley did like kind of takeaway. Uh, I saw that she did like a social distancing takeaway for you. <laughs> did she cook for you? That's so nice. She made chicken curry and rice, which was divine. Um, and just left it on the porch step for everybody to pick up. So, I mean, since I'm not the best cook myself, that was especially appreciated because it was delicious. And um, Chris is the best cook and his meals are beyond. So, but yeah, I would imagine. Oh my gosh, he can like <laughs> do it all. Um, but uh, yeah, we've all been sheltering in place and leaving only for necessities. And um, I clear my mind by driving around up here because uh, it's just such beautiful country. And looking at houses and kind of stopping like a creeper on the side of the road to take a picture of a pretty house or something. Mm -hmm. Um, That's kind of how I clear my mind because I love to drive. So. So tell us about this house. How long ago did you buy it? Okay. So it was, let's see, the very end of 2015. So like a little over four years ago. Um, If if I'm doing the math right. Um, And so I had uh, my, my like, longest best client uh bought a house up here in Dutchess County uh which I wasn't really familiar with before uh he hired me to do that project and it was a really cute farmhouse like very old farmhouse and 
he works really quickly and had you know some things to work with from previous homes and i like decorated it like basically overnight and we moved him in in a matter of months uh and i was super pleased with the project and it ended up being in veranda and blah 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 um, but every time we drove to his house, um, Tara, my office manager, and I would see this cute little yellow um, house with black shutters on the top of the hill. And I kept saying, like, oh, my God, that's such a cute house. But it's like looks like it's falling apart. And I so, you know, somebody needs to save it. And the last time we drove up here for the photo shoot, she was like, you realize it's been for sale this entire time. Like, you didn't see the sign. I'm like, what? <laughs> um, so it was just this light bulb moment even though I wasn't in the market for a country house, even though I'm, you know, raised in Florida, I'm so much more of a beach person um, and beach vacation person. Um, but it's something that I've always wanted to do since childhood is kind of save an old house and bring it back to life. Because um, I grew up in, an, in a house that was built like in 1904. Um, but I, in our backyard, it looked up this uh, hill to this kind of like gray gardens falling down colonial revival um, which is, which was, it's still there. It's still falling apart and no one saved it. And I just was like, if I had the money, I would buy that house and fix it up and make it like, bring it back to life. So on a smaller scale, that's basically what I've done here. Um, and when I was thinking about paint colors, um, I, I mean, I found a great contractor who had been working for my client. Um, and I, I have like a great team up here, uh, kind of carpenters and such. Um, but when it time to pick the, came time to pick the exterior paint colors, I went round and round because, you know, some people were saying, oh, paint it black because that's like very chic. And I was like, yeah, but like black will hide the detail and I don't want to hide all the pretty original details. Um, but uh, I ended up painting it like a white with kind of a coat of shutters. And my sister reminded me, she was like, well, you realize you grew up in a white house with green shutters. I was like, oh my God, it's so Freudian. It's like full circle moment. Oh, how funny. So you weren't thinking about that. It just oh, no. sort of- Not at all. Wow. I was just thinking like what would look best on the house and for this area. Um, but it's it's just such driving up. It's perfectly sided on the, on the land, even though it's a bit close to the road, but it kind of is perfect north, south, east, west alignment. So it gets the sunset on the um, the front facade, which even though it's a little farmhouse from the 1800s, like whoever built this baby just put so much detail into this like, you know, pedimented over door and the beautiful window surrounds. And that's what sold me um, that the level of detail for, um, for a small farmhouse is just kind of mind blowing. And uh, oh, um, Bill Brockschmidt, the architect, um, Brockschmidt and Coleman, he drove by one day um, and he actually put my house on his Instagram and he said it's um, vernacular with pretension and he didn't know it was my house. Um, but so I chimed in, I was like, Bill, that's exactly why I bought the house. Cause it's a, it's a farmhouse vernacular but it's so fancy with a capital F um, and he laughed. But uh, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> major learning curve because you know even though i do i decorate for a living i had i'd never renovated a house before so it was just the well and that's a major renovation too because it's not like it's a house from the 80s or the 70s it's over 100 years old yeah so have you had any fun surprises um, as you renovated yeah <laughs> like um thank i mean the first meeting with the contractor he was like if you had used that um downstairs shower with the heavy pan like you would have fallen through to the basement because the floor oh was so rotted. I know 
So I'm glad I didn't do that. And it, I was planning on kind of testing it out and living here before I jumped into the renovation. But it honestly, parts of it felt like a crime scene. Like it just didn't feel comfortable um, <laughs> even to camp out. Um, that, like there were, there's certainly things that I would do differently now, kind of learning from some mistakes, but thankfully no crazy expensive surprises. So that's good. That's wonderful. Yeah. You've been lucky then. I've been lucky and I'm glad there was so much original detail, like three old fireplaces and pretty mantles. And um, I'm not very practical when it comes to my own homes because I took off all the storm windows so you could see the pretty, um, you know, original windows. And of course, it's so drafty in here, but I deal with it. Like I just crank up the heat. So. Have you been spending a lot of time there? I mean, outside of right now with the shelter in place order, but prior to that, have you had the opportunity to, opportunity to spend much time at the house? Yeah, I've been coming up on like weekends, but I wouldn't say every weekend, um, kind of like a, like twice a month in the wintertime and definitely more in the summertime and having friends up for the weekend. Um, it's, it's pretty, I'm, I've made it a rule. Like I don't have a television up here. I have Wi-Fi, but no cable. Um, so I wanted to force us to kind of like actually keep each other company and play games and do fun things like that. But um, at the same time, I'm still like, or I have been a regular at the Millbrook restaurants because we're not like not so much cooking for myself still. Um, but that has all changed. Um, but it's, it overlooks um, uh, the Clove Valley and it's protected land because this um, private club owns like 3,000 acres, and they just bought um, the last remaining farm, uh, which was over 100 acres, which is directly across from my house. So I'm so happy that it wasn't um, turned into a subdivision or a trailer park or something like that. So, Well, that's good. I'm sure that's reassuring, knowing that that's in place. Yeah, preserves my view. For sure. Well, have you finished the house? Do you have a completion date in mind, or is it... I'm totally where you want it it's it'll probably never be totally where I want it so I have to set a deadline for myself which I'm terrible about doing but I need to either do have a photo shoot or have a big party for friends so the pressure will be on for you know all the miscellaneous things um the decorating bits it's totally livable and comfortable um but it's it's things like I want wallpaper in the downstairs bathroom and I know exactly what I want I'm waiting to pull the trigger now doesn't seem like the right time to spend um, you know, a lot of my wallpaper. <laughs> yeah, small fortune. Yeah, exactly. Um, of course, it's like the Moni Zubair, whatever. It looks very like 1940s. Um, and then I'm gonna, the guest bedroom is still a work in progress. Um, I want to do some decorative paint up there that um, I have a fa two fabulous decorative painters that I work with. And I trust their skills. I'm like, maybe I'll just take a paintbrush and do it during quarantine. And that's not going to happen. Like, I'm going to call in the, the pros for that. Um, but yeah, I, the goal is to have it professionally photographed um, at the height of summer or in um, September when the, the greenery is all pretty and the trees are nice. Um, and hopefully I'll have some landscaping done by then. But, you know, it all costs. So, yeah, well, and as designers, sometimes we drag our feet a little bit on our own projects. Everybody always laments that designers are their own worst clients, but I mean, it's the same thing. You get, you get busy with other clients and things that are more pressing and you have a duty to those clients to 
prioritize them, obviously. And then there's not always the time that you need to focus on your own projects, obviously. Oh, completely. And it's it's not a full case of the cobbler has no, um, the cobbler's son has no shoes, but it's a little bit like that. I mean, um, yeah. the, but truly, you know, running a small business, it's like the client work does come first. Like that has to be the priority, uh, especially right now. So, um, but I just, yeah, I have to set the deadline and then kind of, and have a party and celebrate it and be fun. Have you been doing any of the work yourself? I remember one of the first times I ever learned about you was when your um, apartment, your I think your first apartment or something in New York was featured on the cover of Domino many, many moons ago. Uh, 2006. And then you just did a cute post the other day on Instagram about how you had upholstered this the like peacock blue sofa yourself I which i couldn't believe and you'd done so much of the work yourself because you were young and scrappy and in new york and didn't have a lot of extra money to focus on decorating but you had taste and ideas and you just figured out how to do it all which is so impressive well, thank you that's so that's super sweet i was pretty wild in the diy department um you know mainly because i i wanted a beautiful home and kind of like fancy furniture, but had, didn't have the funds to make it happen. So um, I was pretty handy and I watched a lot of TV shows when I was a little kid. There was, there was one called Furniture on the Mend where it was these two jokey uh, upholsters and woodworkers who just kind of cracked jokes while they redid furniture. Which, I mean, it was on the learning channel when the, the learning channel was actually about learning. And I sat there as like a little boy. I was like, oh, so that's how they do that. Oh, fascinating. Okay. Um, and my dad is a, he's a retired scientist, um, but his brain works that way where it's just like, take something apart, put it back together. Um, mm -hmm. so I got some of that from him, but he never cared about what anything looked in our home at all. Um, to the point of like ridiculousness, uh, <laughs> my sister commented on that pose, the, um, the pinnacle of his like crazy DIY and frugality he had put a uh, window unit air conditioner in his office, which was at the front of our house in Florida, um, even though the house had central air. So just to save on the bills um, month to month. Um, but then to keep the air in, there was like a cased opening, like a double doorway. Um, mm -hmm. Bought one of those plastic flaps like you see at the Costco freezer to keep it cold oh. in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the flap curtains just like like with bolts bigger than you've ever seen in your life like bolted into the woodwork um the nice old woodwork and I was like dad are you serious like just like make a door or something he's like nope this works for me uh so we are opposites in that way but it, I did kind of have a I mean I upholstered chairs I did upholster that sofa I painted every surface in that apartment I painted like stars on my ceiling um, I did a Greek key border that nobody ever saw because there was no natural light in my bathroom, but I had this like glamorous kind of 80s Scarface looking bathroom that I painted black, like glossy black with a white, um, a white Greek key border above the marble tile. Um, and I, I need to get back to some of that. Like I don't, I, I always want to be hiring the right person for the job and I know that somebody can do it far better than I. Um, Mm -hmm. But there is some satisfaction in making something yourself and doing a little furniture makeover or, or painting or being um, just creative. Yeah, for sure. Well, did you always know? I mean, I assume you've always been creative since you were a child. Did you always know that you were destined to be a designer? Ooh, um, I knew I was destined to do something uh, 
visual and creative. Uh, I, you know, as a little boy, I was making the clothes for Barbies, like my sister's Barbies. I gave them all kind of like spandex tube dresses. Um, I was making doll houses out of cardboard boxes and, you know, white with green shutters, surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> and I loved magazines and I loved like anything that presented a fantasy, um, just kind of like another world to explore. And I think decorating is such a part of that um, because even though it's people's real lives and their homes, like it is kind of creating a stage set for daily life and it informs how people, um, how people live and enjoy their own space. So I think growing up, I, I wanted to be, I definitely wanted to pursue architecture because to me, it sounded like the best combination of, uh, an intellectual field, uh, but in a profession that like, you know, vocation where I loved architecture, I loved old houses, I loved design, I loved kind of lifestyle and atmosphere. Um, and I didn't really fully understand the level of hard work and detail and um, just all the kind of minutia that architects deal with in their work lives. Um, so I, uh, I actually, went to Columbia University undergrad, majored in architecture, but it's a bachelor of arts there. And I was like a square peg in a round hole because um, it was it's a very theoretical program. It's not about making pretty houses. It's about kind of theory um, program. Like they didn't, no one said the word design. Design was a dirty word. Um, and I, I honestly should have shifted majors or gone to art school or something, but I was, too proud and too, um, I basically, you know, was kind of the school nerd growing up and I wanted to have that um, fancy degree and gosh darn it, I graduated and got the BA, um, but it, like the writing was on the wall. I knew I wasn't gonna pursue it uh, as a career. Um, at the time I was, believe it or not, I was making clothes, hand sewing clothes with a friend of mine from my hometown who went to NYU um, and we even sold in like retail accounts in New York City and um, at Patricia Field. That was our like, you know, most famous account. Um, and we didn't know what we were doing, but like, and made no money doing it, but it was fun. I didn't know that you about know, you, Nick. That's so It cool. was fun. Um, we were uh, like, I didn't, I hung out still with, I had two good friends from my hometown who were at school, actually three good friends uh, who went to school in New York City at other schools. So I was mostly hanging out with them. Uh, and we were just like sisters doing it for ourselves, like sewing things, <laughs> just taking <laughs> photographs, like fashion shoots in alleyways in Chinatown and trying to be like, like pseudo hipsters, basically all like yes. in good schools. Um, but it was fun. It taught me, I, I, we were just fearless, which is the best thing about youth. Like you don't second guess your crazy decisions. You just go and do it. Um, same thing with everything I did to my first apartment, that big studio. Um, so I was uh, one example um, of a mistake, I would say. I, I really wanted to paint my floors black, but I knew the landlord would lose his mind. Um, and I had a roommate at the time and I was just like, maybe I can buy some kind of like vinyl covering or something that's black. So at least it'll like read as black. And I moved all the furniture around and laid out these like sheets of vinyl and it didn't work at all. Like it wouldn't lay flat. And my roommate and friend, Amy comes home. She goes, can we finally get rid of this black vinyl? Cause it feels like the junior gym in here. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, okay. <laughs> so I'm just going to have to live with the ugly, like yellow wood floors. Fair enough. Um, 
Yeah, but there, there were moments like that for sure. Yeah, well, fast forward a little bit. So you received your architecture degree from Columbia. And then one day you were reading a fashion magazine and you read an article about a designer named yeah. Miles Red. What happened next? Um, that was in my senior year of college. It was March, which was my birth month. And it was in W, which was my favorite magazine, still one of my favorite magazines of all time. Like the 90s and 2000s W were so fabulous. Um, so good. And I saw this townhouse and this article about Miles Red, And he, you know, had just been named creative director of Oscar de la Renta home. And he lived downtown in this beautiful I mean, it looked like a junior version of Bunny Mellon's townhouse with the French windows and the shutters and kind of like pale blue gray. And at the time he lived with his sister and I thought that was incredible because I'm so close with my sister and, you know, he was photographed with her, but it was mainly like the colors, like the lush color combinations and all the beautiful objects. And it was so like intensely beautiful. The photos are, are by um, Martin Thompson who He's, he's actually more of a minimalist photographer. So with who, lurk, who works in um, like wide, large format camera, like actual film. So the combination of his mm -hmm. photos with Miles's like maximalism blew my mind. So it actually like when, when something affects me like that, like I literally couldn't get to sleep that night. I was just looking at it and rereading it. And just like my mind was like set off. Um, and, you know, not having any kind of, knowing that I didn't have a kind of career goal in mind, I was like, this guy has got it together. Um, he's so successful. He seems really young. He looks like he's like 21, but he's in his thirties. Um, I should write him a letter and just, you know, ask to see how he got to this point in his life because I, that's what I want for myself eventually. Um, and so I wrote this like long letter, which was, you know, flattering to him. And then, four paragraphs about me, which is, <laughs> um, and I included like our little fashion stills from my, um, my fashion line that I had with my friend. Um, and I sent it to his home because it came up on Google as his office. Um, and mm. his sister, uh, oh, checked the mail and she was, I think she opened it before him. She's like, you got to read this. <laughs> um, and I thought I would never hear back from him. And immediately I got a letter to my dorm room. Um, from his office, from his office manager saying, Miles would like to meet with you. Um, are you available this time? And I, I think I called the office and set up a time to meet him. And I was shocked that I ever heard back. Um, and then I wore some crazy outfit to meet him, which I just shudder to think about what I wore. Um, and he was very gracious as he is, and, but, and very interested in hearing about me. And, you know, that kind of put me on the spot, like asked me kind of like, who's your favorite architect? Who's this, who's that? Um, after, you know, graciously answering my questions about his, um, you know, upbringing and career before then. And then he basically told me that his current assistant had already given her notice and that he was looking to hire somebody, which uh, then the interview, it became an interview for me. Uh, so I, mm -hmm. that just blew my mind. And, you know, of course I, I wrote a thank you note and waited patiently to hear back. And they told me that there was another candidate in the running who had more technical skills because there was no computer aided drafting at Columbia. Um, and like two weeks later, Amanda, who's my friend, who's, uh, you know, was the office manager at the time called and said, like, we want to offer you a job. And I like almost jumped up and down. Like I was so happy that number one, that I got to 
work for this person that I so admire, but that I could tell my father that I had a full-time job with benefits, which was wild. <laughs> um, and that I had a, yeah, that I was kind of like set down this path. And then of course, like the, <laughs> it, it wasn't a diva move, but I was like, I really want one last summer vacation to myself. And I was like, I'm available to start like after Labor Day. <laughs> and I went home to Florida um, and hung out with my friends like one last time and then started in the fall. Um, but it was just, it was meant to be, it was total fate that he would write back and that he was looking for an assistant and that, um, we all got along so well, Amanda and Miles and I, it was, it was very small firm at the time. So. Well, it took so much moxie, I think for you to even sit down to write that letter. And it's so funny because I think the universe can send us signals and puts things in front of us. And it's up to us to pursue them. But clearly, you were meant to see that article. And it really made you realize something in yourself and about what you wanted your path to be. And then to even have um, the courage to write that letter. And thankfully, he responded well. And then I mean, the rest is history. But for those who don't know, you went on to work for miles for several years. And what was that experience um, well, like? Well, thank you, first of all. I just, it was that youthful moxie and just kind of like, why not? The worst thing that could happen is you don't hear back. Um, and working for him, it it was just like grad school in life and in decorating. Um, at the time, I, I, I was such a school nerd that school was my job. I didn't really work a lot outside of school. Um, and my job was getting good grades and like finding a, you know, in, in, gearing up for a career. Um, so I barely knew, I didn't know what an invoice really was. I was nervous to talk in, on the phone in front of people. I was very green in every sense of the word for like working. I'd had one internship where I felt like prior to this, where I felt like so useless because I didn't have any uh, marketable skills. Um, but I was willing to learn and they were patient with me and I, I learned their their design, their, their software and kind of like, you know, Miles is a great teacher, but he's, he, he's like teaches by example. Like you have to be observant. You have to watch his process, um, how he interacts with clients, how he, you know, how he handles certain situations. And he, I was happy to learn. He's a very, very smart businessman and a good businessman and works quickly, more quickly than any person I've ever met in my life. He is about efficiency and then maximizing his free time and his off hours. Um, in addition to being a fabulous decorator who has created like iconic rooms. Um, and he also made it very clear that uh, it's a service industry because you have, you, the clients have to be happy and pleased with the results. Like, duh, that's job one. But um, it's not just like shopping for fabulous antiques all day long and, um, you know, having, you know, pe- how in- how designers and decorators are depicted in the movies is just like the opposite of reality. Um, so he right. he's a very practically minded person who's also deeply rooted in fantasy, um, if that makes any sense. Because there's there's such a romance to his rooms, and he is a romantic and watches all the movies. But at the same time, like if people aren't paying their bills, he'll get on the phone and say, "You need to pay your bills," <laughs> which is very important. um so that was a huge education and it was uh I think almost five years exactly that I worked there um 
And it was it was very hard to move on and start my own company. Uh, and it was during the recession, which is crazy to think about, but uh, I had learned so much and I just knew, I kind of knew the recession had already knocked us down a peg work-wise and that it would be a little time before, you know, Miles went on to do those exciting things that he's so accomplished, like, you know, lines of fabric and wallpaper, the ballet designs, like moving into a beautiful new office. Um, and I just thought, well, maybe the time is now for me to start my own thing because, um, I mean, he was very gracious with me. He let me take on a couple projects through his own company, uh, but not that, you know, I didn't have like a huge roster of clients. Um, but he supported me and, and s referred me to jobs that have been great for me when he couldn't take them on, whether he was too busy or like timing didn't work. Um, and he's a dear, dear friend and just like the the funniest, kindest person, just most generous. So that's like huge blessing. Yeah, I mean, you guys do have such a, a lovely relationship and it's so nice to see because I get the feeling, and I don't know Miles very well personally at all, but I get the feeling that he's a really generous mentor because he has been so great. I, I've heard from you firsthand about what your experience was like, and I know that you guys are still very close and seeing the fact that he's made, you know, David a partner exactly. now and um, that he's been very supportive of Brett and everybody else in his office I think speaks volumes about the kind of boss he is he, is. he knows he is an extremely generous boss and, and mentor like you said um, and he believes that karma is a boomerang and that you really do get it all back and he he nurtures talent I mean David Kaihai is one of the most talented people that I know and could honestly be a fine artist could be like he could do so many things um, and I think it was really incredible for or Miles to bring him into the business because he's kind of the rock. I mean, they all are the rock of the business, Laura and the office manager. Um, but David's energy and his kind of can-do spirit and his creativity are like bar none. And so Miles wants to reward that and to kind of like nurture his talent. And same for Blake and um, Jacob. It's like, if you, if, he he wants to kind of people to like flourish and he wants them to do like their best. So he he really fosters that. That's right. It's Blake. I, I remembered it was a girl's name, a, a boy's name for a girl with a B. Thank you. Um, she's a sweetie. <laughs> That's so wonderful. So tell us then a little bit about your design process and now you've been doing your own thing for several years now has it been a decade yeah that you've been on which your is all to think about um yeah. it has been 10 years and every project is different which is why i really love this career um this industry but it's you know first of all it's a personality it has to click right with the client you know you talk on the phone you meet in person um and it just kind of you, like conversations about their home you know what is where is it how big is it like the architecture um kind of neighborhood location in the country um and then there's specific needs uh everybody lives differently and everybody wants something else it's like maybe they don't want to decorate the whole house because the house is so big and they want to prioritize this or maybe it's like a empty full floor park avenue apartment that doesn't have a stick of furniture in it where we get to start from scratch um and both of those approaches are very exciting but I basically 
um, always start with the furniture plan, either that I get from the architect or the real estate broker. Um, I catalog anything that the clients already own, uh, measure everything that they want to reuse. Um, there are some delicate conversations about things that I may not like and want to reuse, but that I need to reuse. Um, and so then it, you know, Miles taught me this that he learned from Bunny um, and from John, like it's nothing without a furniture plan. You start from the plan and it has to function. It has to be conversational. It has to, you know, there has, there have to be nightstands. There have to be drinks tables next to seating in your living room. It has to be, um, it has to flow and it has to make sense. And he, I looked at all, I studied all of his furniture plans that he did for clients. And I learned from that. And I look at how, um, mm-hmm. you know, Bunny Williams arranges a room or Albert Hadley arranged rooms. Um, and I, I draw it all to scale. Uh, and then I kind of, you know, based on all these conversations with the client, and they, I, I just ask them to show me everything that inspires them. Like, no, like, no amount, like, no limit to the information. Uh, I had a writer client who basically wrote out how she wanted her apartment to feel. Um, and as, yeah, that's amazing. And it was very helpful. Um, so you take all of those elements and um, start to go down the color route, fabric, texture. Um, thinking about how the house or the apartment flows so you're not kind of doing the same thing room to room how um, one room speaks to another in terms of color and pattern and scale and all those things Um, and normally I do I love antique carpets so if it is appropriate um, I'll source like a beautiful antique Ushak or Sultanabad carpet because they have such beautiful color combinations um, and that will set the tone for the color palette and then it's kind of um, like not filling in blanks, but uh, kind of applying uh, fabrics and leathers and wallpapers and like making making the schemes. Um, and I do it sort of intuitively. It's a little hard to explain, but um, uh, and then presenting, of course, presenting it to the client, getting their feedback, you know, making some revisions if necessary. It's rare that it's just like somebody says, yep, one at all, but that's fabulous when that does happen. <laughs> of course um, but yeah it's it's a uh, it's kind of a it's definitely a collaboration with the client and everybody is different I have a I did this uh, beautiful house in Cincinnati that's a modernist house uh, for a long time clients it's the third project I've done for them and um, the initial meeting for this house the 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 wife and the mother is not a traditionalist she's just not and she made some kind of offhand comment about like, well, I don't want a break front in my living room. And I was like, oh, I actually scaled in a break front right here between these two chairs. <laughs> so I was like, okay, <laughs> no, note taken, like no break fronts, no traditional Georgian furniture at all in this place. Um, I, I've snuck in like a little French chair here and there, but I'm like, how fascinating. Like I really get to do a more modernist house and she really wants mid-century or contemporary furniture. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I can do this and it'll be a fun, fun challenge. So. That's what's so fun. I think about being a decorator and especially for those of us who get to work in different styles. Um, I always, I have a hard time saying exactly what my, my 
style is or what my work is. I guess I know. I know what my style is, but I feel like each project looks so different. At least it does to me because I see the client in it, which is really the goal. Um, And I, I, I see that in your work too. There's definitely a common thread and I can see that it's executed through your particular lens and there are sort of markers, if you will, that help me to identify it as your work, like your beautiful use of color. Um, but I do see that individuality too. There's so much personality. Thank you. I mean, it's, it ultimately, it has to, it has to reflect the owners, the clients who live there and their families and their style. And I just want to give people kind of the heightened best possible version of what they want, uh, which is a little hokey saying, because it's, um, but it's the truth because it's, that's the beauty of what we do. Not everybody likes the same things. And uh, people's perception of color is so different. Like we were in a meeting and this a client said like, I could see the living room, something like this strong yellow. And she pointed to a, a magazine tear sheet where it was like the palest, palest non-color you ever saw. I was like, that to me is not a strong yellow, but that's interesting. It's how you see it. Um, that reminds me of that beautiful room. You had a project published in Veranda years ago. And it, it was, was, it it was yellow actually lacquer? just yellow paint. Um, it's Viking yellow from Benjamin Moore. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, that was the client's idea. And she pushed me um, into a different direction because she was like, well, why not like sunshine yellow? I was like, I wasn't expecting you to ask for yellow. But now that you have, um, we can sort of weave that thread. Um, and she, we're still in touch, uh, that client. Sadly, they sold that apartment and they moved um, down south, but I hope they're going to get a pied terre in New York again after this corona mess has passed. So it'll be fun to work with them. Yeah. Yellow is one of those colors. I feel like people are kind of afraid of it generally. People either love it or hate it. It's kind of a polarizing color, kind of like red. Do you find that clients either are like totally on board for red or it's on their list of colors that they it, just it, It's all or process? nothing with red. I mean, I've had uh, yeah. one of my earliest clients ask specifically for a Chinese red lacquer entry hall. I'm like, great, fair enough. Um, but then some people are like, no more red. Um, yellow is definitely a kind of firebrand, um, pun intended, I guess. It can read really sallow and kind of green and pukey, um, or it can read really warm and beautiful. Um, but uh, yeah, people's perceptions of color, like, one of my best client um, said like in my new apartment, like no jewel tones. And I was like, well, what does that really mean exactly? Cause like he loves deep blue and Sapphire as a jewel tone. Um, but I think he was, I think mm-hmm. he meant more, uh, he didn't want sort of like the pinky aubergines and like amethyst from his previous apartment. I was like, I'm, that's fine. We don't have to do that at all. But <laughs> Is there a color you're really Ooh, loving right now? Good question. Um, I have been seeing like a lot of periwinkle blue I love because um, it kind of hits that border mm-hmm. of lavender and blue uh, and just feels very cheerful and kind of spring-like. Uh, even though we didn't have a bad winter in New York, I'm just always wanting cheery colors. Um, like a really true pale celadon is always lovely. Um, and I, I really like I'm looking at my living room here. I, I like the combination of red and green or red and pink year round, but some people think it's too Christmassy. Um, but I always love that combination, like in any form. Yeah, I think it's about getting the yeah. balance right between the two because 
if they're sort of equally dispersed, right. it can feel a little holiday. But otherwise, it's a really chic palette. For sure. You can pull it off. Although I did I have to um, redo like a set of panels that were behind a break front because the, the green was too emerald. And I was like, oh, gosh, but I love it. Um, but yeah, it's I love all colors, but I love I tend towards clear versions of the color. I don't like a lot of muddy colors um, or just too, mm -hmm. colors with too much gray or too much white added. Um, I like a pastel moment. Pastels can be cute. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's all in it's all in the combination for sure. Nick, what's inspiring you right now? Or where do you typically turn Ooh, for inspiration? Um, it's cliche, but travel is the most inspiring thing to me. I mean, it doesn't have to be to the ends of the earth. Like I said, I just even like getting in the car and driving around and getting a change of scenery. Um, of course, we can't really travel right now. But um, I mean, nature yeah. is endlessly in inspiring. I'm going on these long walks and just color combinations on trees and bark and moss and the sky and it sounds so woo woo but <laughs> really like nature is the best decorator for sure um what else i mean music uh it's silly but instagram because there are so many creative people on instagram and interesting people and um kind of there are scholars on instagram who teach me things about design and decorating like uh there are just so many informed accounts and uh, the level of mm -hmm. exposure is wild. Uh, what else? I mean, those are the basics. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like inspiration's wherever really? you find it. It can be anywhere. Um, so another question, if we sort of shift gears a little bit, you designed a room at the Kim Space Show House a few years ago. And um, I think the design community in New York especially is pretty in, in tune to the fact that this week would have been the Kips Bay president's dinner and the house, unfortunately, this year's show house has been postponed until a later right. date once all of this is behind us. And um, I just want to, you know, do my part to talk about it as much as I can and hopefully ra raise awareness because all of the wonderful children, the thousands of children that the Kips Bay Boys and Girls Club serves, um, their needs right. don't go away. If anything, they're just heightened during this epidemic. So I'd love to talk about that a little bit. Tell us about the room that you designed um, for the show house. So this was, yeah. was it 2017, 2017. that you mm -hmm. did it, 2018? Um, well, first of all, it is like, it breaks my heart to think about the kids who can't go to that clubhouse because I went to the clubhouse and it's just, it was a really, really like moving experience because they are doing so much with relatively little. Um, and it's it's a huge bedrock for that community and kids who need the meals they need the um you know kind of like the direction in their lives and the fellowship with other kids so i just hope that we can get back to raising money for them as soon as possible um but it it was a while it was i keep saying wild but it was a crazy experience um to do kips bay and very very satisfying ultimately but you know the time frame is rushed to begin with and I think that year they were a little late to find a house or somebody, a house backed out or who knows. Um, but I think we had less than four weeks from the uh, kind of opening party, like the, you know, the house is finally open to you and then um, to the reveal. So we were working on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dog. Um, and it was at the same year 
when I had agreed to do uh, a window for Legends in LA and Design on a Dime, and they all happen around the same time. <laughs> I, and I you lived in tell and I was having um, oh some HR issues, which I won't get into, but thankfully it all worked out for the best. <laughs> um, but it was, you know, Bunny Williams stands up there and says, this is your time to do, you are the client, do your absolute best work for yourself, do pull out all the stops and do the room that you have in your head that you haven't been able to do yet. Um, and that's exactly what I did, because I have a lot of ideas that I haven't been able to use yet and certain fabric choices and combinations that may not be appropriate for a client or I just haven't been able to do it. Um, and so I had an upstairs bedroom um, it, and it connected to Billy Cotton's beautiful room, but I kind of doubled the work for myself because I wanted there to be a logical transition and I didn't want to make it a bedroom per se. So I created this like dark black mirrored vestibule I remember that those Thank glossy you. walls um, were so beautiful. With, it was actually a mirror. Was yeah. it mirror? Um, Manhattan Shade and Glass, which is no longer sadly, did that for me, um, and it led into kind of like a salon. Um, it, I cheekily called it the Salon du Beau Monde, just to be kind of <laughs> just to be idiotic. But I, I was really inspired by um, the living room that uh, Jean Michel Franck did for Nelson Rockefeller in New York with it this like beautiful Aubusson carpet and, um, but it had probably oak paneling. Um, and so I did, I found a, a pretty Donegal carpet with all these swirls and these rich colors and laid it over sisal and did kind of a very Jean-Michel Franck like wood grain wall covering by Maya Romanoff, but then filled it with, you know, antiques that I had in my inventory or things that were donated or loaned, um, like a beautiful, uh, uh, God, I'm going to blank on the name, but a beautiful modernist armchair from Bernd Geckler, um, uh, like a Louis XV sofa, uh, a chintz kind of granny club chair, um, and a beautiful desk from Newell. Um, oh, and then like the clincher was, and this was so kind because um, uh, F.J. Hakimian contacted me and said, we would love to loan you something for your room. And I wasn't a customer of theirs. Uh, and I was so flattered that I went through all their websites and they had a beautiful um, Jean Lersat tapestry uh, that was all the perfect colors. And that actually came after I'd done my color palette. So that was the anchor on um, that opposite wall. And it, it was just such a great experience because all the designers were in it together. Everybody was kind of trying to be respectful. But um, all the vendors, all the my contractor, Joe Merrill um, of City and Stone was fabulous. Um, it, it really all went off. Okay, the one hitch, if I'm being honest, the, the sofa cushion. <laughs> this, is what, this is my only Kiss Bay meltdown. My big, like, seven-foot sofa cushion where I'd had the sofa made um, made in a, like, instead of three individual cushions, I just made, like, a what I wanted was a single thin button cushion. Well, thin is relative, and when it showed up, you know, the day before or the day of the install, it was like a spaceship. I'm like, no, it's too fat, this cushion. <laughs> I was prepared. I slept it down the stairs because there was no elevator. I mean, this was like a dead body or like two dead bodies in a bag. And I slept it down the stairs. It was like the plastic was like flowing in the wind. And I'm trying to call an Uber to get it back to the upholsterer right away. And um, God, I forget who took pity on me. And finally, they were like, 
Oh, and that I, house didn't have AC. I remember it walking was, that house. I mean, was the house hot. was a bit of a dog. Um, but yeah, so I was like, sweating profusely. Um, but somebody, I think, took pity on me and gave me a ride to the upholsters or something, or then maybe the movers did. Um, but it all turned out for the best. And I think what's like heartbreaking about those show houses is that so much has to be left behind with the backgrounds. Um, so I want there to be like some kind of way. I mean, they do sell a lot in kind of that basement tag sale. Um, but I want there to be some hybrid between kind of like design on a dime and Kips Bay where it does get sold off for charity, but then kind of like nobody's going to donate really expensive stuff. So, um, that's the only bummer about show houses to me is that it gets broken down and disappears. Yeah. Yeah, it only, I mean, it's a blip on the radar. Right. It comes and goes so quickly. And then you're just left with, you know, the photos and the memories. And um, thankfully, as you mentioned, so many vendors and showrooms are so eager to help because they understand the power oh, and the sure. reach that Kips Bay has being this incredible show house that's so well respected. And so everyone, you know, wants to wants to help and donate or loan you something, which is wonderful. But then there are things that you have custom made or that can't be repurposed. And it would be amazing for them exactly. to go to someone I'm who could use them. So what advice do you have for anyone listening who may want to participate Ooh, in a show house um, for the first time? I guess first of all, talk to other people who've done it and and understand the financial outlay because it is even though so many so many pieces are donated and so many people give their time and their labor generously it is a huge business expense so yeah. absolutely and if you're not based in the city where it's taking place you have to factor like in the cost sure. of travel yeah. the cost that's of shipping whole, everything that's a yep. major major mm -hmm. the first and foremost factor um then you know as you begin the design process uh, as my friend Jamie Mears would say, you need to play the Super Bowl. Like one of her friends was like, Maroon 5, you know, when they did the halftime show, like they played a good concert, but they didn't play the Super Bowl. Like you have to pull out all the stops and do everything uh -huh. um, to make a like stellar knockout room. Um, and yeah, like don't be afraid to ask for favors. Don't be afraid to say, well, I shouldn't, you know, paint the entire room like this crazy color or something it's like paint the entire room tent the ceiling do your like pull out all the tricks that you have in your sleeve and really go to town because those are the rooms that people will remember where you'll get the best photography the most press um i mean yeah i mean it's it's about the charity but if you're going to spend these resources you need to make it a portfolio piece for yourself as a decorator or designer for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's a really powerful platform, not only for the charity, but for the people who participate. It has, I mean, all it's those iconic Mario Guada rooms, like so many of them are from show houses, specifically Kips Bay, um, where he got to go wild and to do all of his best Mario Guada fabulousness. So, Right. For sure. Well, I'm going to wrap mm -hmm. this up with one last question, Nick. What is currently giving you hope in Ooh, the world of design or otherwise? Um, what is giving me hope? Um, mainly the, and I don't want to cry, but just the people on the front lines who are grocery store workers, medical workers, UPS people, like who are really, really risking themselves um, 
to serve people and to make sure people are fed and taken care of during this crisis. Um, it humbles me. It makes me put what we both do for a living into perspective, even very important at this time. Um, but that is giving me hope that they're the kindest, most generous people out there who were just like doing so much for, for mankind. It's pretty heavy, but it's true. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's an important reminder. I mean, we're so lucky if we, I, you know, we're on Instagram, yes. I think more than ever right now. And people yes. are sort of commiserating about how they're climbing the walls at home or it's frustrating to be stuck with their kids all day, but we're, we're grateful. We should be grateful. And we're fortunate to have the opportunity, yeah, the choice to stay home. And yeah. you and I are fortunate to right. be able to continue to work from home and to have clients who are allowing us to keep our staffs employed and to keep the ball rolling. Not everybody has that luxury. And there are many people on the front lines who haven't been able to enjoy the comfort of their own bed or their home for fear Absolutely. of infecting their family I've been thanking for many weeks. So grocery store cashiers. I mean, older women still working at the grocery stores wearing gloves and a mask. I'm like, I don't know if I could do the same in, in their face. So it's incredible. Yeah. Well, Nick, when this is all behind us, I am so looking forward to hopefully seeing yeah, you in likewise. person sooner rather than later. Thank, Thank you. you so much for your time. This has been such a fun conversation and hopefully a bright, bright spot it in your day. Thank you for having me. And I want to see you soon and give you a big hug. Of course. Thank Sending you, you big love. Talk to you soon, Bye. Nick. That was interior designer extraordinaire, Nicholson. Thank you so much for listening today. Be sure to visit thestylefilespodcast.com where you can find other episodes featuring engaging, exciting conversations with other creatives. In the meantime, be sure to follow along at Paloma Contreras Design on Instagram, where I will share news of the newest episodes as they hit the site. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple or wherever you choose to get your podcasts. And if you're so inclined, please be sure to leave us a positive review on these platforms as it will really help us to get this podcast off the ground. As always, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed what you heard today and we'll see you next time.